Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revivals, emo violence, even ska. We're here to help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council. Just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Hello and welcome to episode 171 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Before we start, I want to mention the absolute insanity the last couple months have been both in the world and personally. So we all find ways to cope. I've spent a lot of time reflecting. It's a world we're in where every day seems to get crazier than the last. I hope the podcast helps you in some positive way to hear the stories about the past and with a hope for the future. Your messages to me and support on Patreon 100% help me with this endeavor as I'm still searching for a little job. If you'd like to support Washed Up Emo, head on over to patreon.com slash washedupemo to support. Today, we welcome Danny Pound from Vitreous Humor and The Regrets. In this podcast, I've tried to go back and find the origin, the meaning, and the stories behind this genre. In this episode, we go back to the start, Danny Pound. Danny's band, Vitreous Humor, in the late 80s was the first band signed to Crank and also the first release in 1994. Along with Boys Life, they were some of the first bands on this label, Out of the Gate, that were hugely influential to me. This band broke up before I had the chance to see them, and along with the regrets, bucked the trend of what was supposed to be emo, thoughts around it, and one of the true pioneers in the scene. They aren't talked about enough, and the best part, Danny is still making music today. Stick around till the end, and we'll get to deep on emo and what Danny thinks of the word itself. Thank you to all the Patreon supporters, as I said before. If you want to help make this possible, head on over to patreon.com slash washedupemo to support. This is episode 171 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with the legend, Danny Pound, from Vitreous Humor and The Regrets. Tell mama, break your neck. She's already a nervous wreck. We came from Topeka, the, the Vitreous Humor boys did, and we moved to Lawrence, and, you know, but we would come even before the guys, the other guys started coming down here to go to school, the Kansas City bands would come to Lawrence to play and vice versa. And yeah, it was definitely, you know, people were going to see people's shows, you know, and other bands, bands were picking up, you know, picking up stuff from each other. There was a lot of cross pollinating going on. And yeah, and also just a lot of guy, people that just liked each other, you know, it was a very it was a friendly, friendly scene. I started playing the guitar and drums and stuff when I was about nine or 10. So the big thing to me was like the Beatles, you know, that was like the first, when you're a kid, that music like is so, it's, it, it's, it's easy for kids to get into the Beatles, you know, it's got this colorful, imagine, it makes your imagination go wild. But, and you know, we, we grew up in Topeka where there wasn't really... Topeka is the capital city of Kansas, and it's it's not a place that lends itself to kind of a, there wasn't, even when we started playing when we were in our teens, you know, there wasn't places for us to really go play other than, there wasn't like house shows and stuff like that going on, maybe like there was in other little bigger towns, you know. So we were, you know, Brad and Dan and I, who were the three original guys, you know, it wasn't until we left Topeka and started playing out, you know, we started playing in Manhattan, Kansas, where, you know, Kansas State University is. Um, some guys, some older guys saw us and they were like, come down here and play. And, you know, we'd, and then we'd go to Lawrence and play. And then when we went to Lawrence, uh, when the guys went to school there, that's when we met a lot of the Kansas City people. And the Kansas City kids were more raised on hardcore, you know, the post-hardcore stuff. And, the you know, um, you know, that's where we kind of 
it changed the changed the sound of our band, you know, because up to then we'd been kind of a oh college just college rock, you know. We I mean we were like REM, REM Pixies, Jane's Addiction, you know, all this kind of stuff. And the Kansas City kids were into like more underground stuff and stuff that we'd not really heard of. You know, I, I'd never heard of you know Bastro or you know um, Squirrel Bait or you know there was a lot of Louisville kind of influence. I felt like in the Kansas city thing, um, slant and stuff like that. And there was probably a touch of the like hardcore stuff, you know, I mean, Brooks, our bass player was like, you know, black, big black and dead Kennedys and black flag was the thing and that opened our ears for sure. And hardened the sound. I started to like harder stuff as, you know, once Brooks got in the band, it changed the sound for, for sure. And then a lot of the Kansas city bands, you know, were much harder you know there was brooks was in a, a band called germ box for a little while that was like uh you know it was very dissonant and hard and uh which was new to us you know we, we'd heard like jesus lizard and stuff but this was different it was uh it was kind of it was kind of abrasive and so we incorporated some of that abrasiveness into the you know i liked melody too and uh, so the songs I was writing were kind of melody based and and then we incorporated some kind of more aggr- aggressive and abrasive kind of undertone things in there from the Kansas City kids that we had learned about. You know, I love that you were open to those things like it, it wasn't like this is what we're doing and this is like it was uh, it felt you guys were open to sort of morphing and not necessarily changing your sound but uh making it make making it different based on who was in the band yeah yeah and who we were meeting right when we met when we met up with boys life too that was a big i i like all kinds of music and i think i i knew early on that it didn't matter if it was uh like folky you know bob dylan stuff or noise or whatever i like all of it and so it's all is useful music is just music it doesn't really and so i was just you're in the middle of this um really alive kind of thing that's happening we were going to see different bands every week that we were playing with and every week you'd see somebody like giant's chair or something like that that would blow your the top of your head off and make you want to i'd be like i want to do some of that kind of stuff you know like those guys have got something cool. I want to incorporate a little bit of what they're doing, you know, um, texturally or rhythmically or whatever. And in that way, it was a very cool thing because we were always kind of changing what we were doing. It never really stayed for very, I mean, we were only a band for a few years and our sound changed super dramatically over just a, those couple, it was like two and a half years. Um, Cause there was just so much going on and we wanted to, we were just growing with everybody else. So. Yeah, it was like you were you were all sponges, and you know your band and sort of like taking that all in. Like you said, going to see Giants Chair and being like, "All right, we got to add that." Um, and it's it's the it's those influences or those things that I feel make a band or a scene, like you said, alive and making everyone yeah. sort of work a little to you know you needed to go to the show because you needed to see what giant's chair was going to play next because of it felt more on edge, not on edge, but it felt more, you needed to be in it. And for sure. That's exciting. It was. And that's what I was going to say. It was like, I miss that a lot. Um, I don't think that, I think the world has changed with the internet, obviously. And so I I don't think, I don't really think that's, I'm not going to say it's not possible, but it's just less, necessary to the development of people's musical um to their development as mu- as pe- you know musicians to you know you don't necessarily um get that anymore and it was it was a neat thing that i really i, I miss in a big way it was in a, um it was exciting to be playing at the hurricane or whatever in kansas city you couldn't wait to get there because you wanted to see what boys life's new tunes were or whatever, because if, every time you'd see a, your friend's band, they had added some new material that you couldn't fucking believe, you know? <laughs> and, um, 
and that happened. And then they'd go on the road for a little bit and come back. And it was even more amazing because they'd been busting their ass night after night and they were like a machine. And so they had new material and they were tighter than you could imagine and, but loose too. And you just, and so it made you want to try harder. You'd be like, fuck, we, we're, <laughs> we got to come up with some new stuff. You know, that like these guys, it was a competitive thing too. Cause I mean, boys that had me in tears one night when they came back from, from one of their tours and we, we went down to Kansas City to see them and they played and it was, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was moving, you know, it was like, and I, and I was also slightly jealous, you know? <laughs> right. But that emotion, you know, like you're saying, like the, the going to see, like you said, boys life coming back on tour and coming back and like, maybe they learned something from Christy front drive on the way out or, yeah, you know, right. they, they, and then it's like, where'd you get that? Or where did you, and I think that unknown, and I talk about this a lot and I think what's special and why I get to talk about it. And I think is because this time period, that nineties, right before the, the, you know, the 2000, like that those, those mid, like you had the internet, but it wasn't as fast. You, you still needed to, you know, the go to the show, you still were buying things. And I think it was that last moment where it, that, that thing or that way was alive still because from, I think moment on it was okay. Well, I can go listen to how they sound. I can see what they look like. I can, you know, you couldn't really watch yet, Mm -hmm. but it was close. Yeah. Yeah. No, you had to be on the ground, uh, sweating it out with everybody and you wanted to be, it wasn't just like, it was never a chore. It's not like now where it seems like it's a drag for, I mean, people like don't want to leave their house anymore because they've got all their entertainment and you know, I can watch that shit at home. Um, this is people rubbing elbows on the ground, um, shooting the shit, um, being young kids, and osmosis happening and like energy being exchanged. And it's, it's, it's sad that it's gone. You know, the internet has really fucked a lot of things up and, um, you know, but it's, it's just different. You know, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to get negative, you know, it's not like, uh, the world changes and you have to just um, move along with the changes, but it was a beautiful thing. And I do, I do, I do miss that. One of the things I used to love was going to the library as a kid. Um, and you, because if you wanted to find some shit out about something, if I wanted to read about Bob Dylan or something, there was nowhere to go. You had to go to the, I had to go to the library mm-hmm. and like, look, and they had like one shitty Bob Dylan book. And you like <laughs> read that thing over and over <laughs> trying to pour, you know, parse out some, more information that you might've missed about Bob Dylan and what he had to say about the world. And like, it was, uh, you had to dig man. And, um, and at the time, if someone would have said, Hey, guess what? We can give you this magic thing and you can look all the Bob Dylan shit up. You want, you can see the the live video from the 66 tour with him and Robbie Rob, you know, I would have been like, yes, sign me up for that shit. Um, but it made it more special that you had to, you had to dig, you know, it made it more special. In a way, it's like in Buddhism when they when the master you get direct you get transmission from a master, right? Um, you need to like directly from this person who has had this experience. You have to face to face interact and and be and have this transmission given to you. It's not something that you can just like intellectualize or you can um, read in a book. You know, it's like so person to person. You know, somebody who's like, I've got this shit. If you want to come over to my place and check it out, I've got, you know, uh, I've got all the goodies over here and you can come over and we'll spin it for you and I'll let you, I'll loan you some stuff. You know, it was, uh, it was, that was a special thing too. And it did, it made for, you know, tighter bonds and, and, and closer relationships for sure. You know, playing, playing with the guys and how did you get in touch with, crank and how you guys were the first release on that label we were teenagers and we played this band competition thing in topeka and a bunch of bands played and this band from manhattan kansas called roach factory they were kind of a sort of jesus lizardy kind of metal indie rock thing and they blew our minds but they came up to us afterwards they were older than us we were 16 and 17 
And they came up and they were like, you guys are great. And we were playing like, again, like jangly REM. We had a violin player and shit. I mean, it was, I was writing the tunes and they were just poppy <laughs> kind of college rock. Yeah. You know, it, was, it, was, it was decent stuff for a 16 year old kid. They were like, you guys are great. Um, we go to K-State and we can get, you should come down and play. We'll get you some gigs. And so we were like playing bars in Manhattan, Kansas, and we made buddies with, there were a lot of good bands in Manhattan, Kansas at that time. Truck Stop Love um, was, was one of them. And their drummer, Eric, had our demo, and they had just gotten signed, Truck Stop had gotten signed to Scotty Brothers, which was kind of... Right. A, they were a smaller major label at that time. They had like Weird Al Yankovic and... Yeah. Garrett for a, they got signed, and, and so Eric gave our tape to an A&R guy from Scotty Brothers, and that was Jeff Matlow. And Jeff Matlow heard Why Are You So Mean to Me and these other tunes that we had recorded, and uh, he dug it. And so, yeah, he, I came, he called us up and said, hey, I'm starting this label up, Gearhead, you know, would love to put out a seven-inch record. And we were like, holy shit, you know. Um, <laughs> couldn't believe it. We had, That same year, we got a call from um, um, Twin Tone, the replacements old label, and Soul Asylum. And, and uh, so we got, you know, but they were folding. They called us, the girl was like, you know, come up and play a show. And we went up there and she was like, you know, show's canceled and oh, guess what? Twin Tone's going under, so we're not signing anything. Wow. We but not too long after that, got a call from from Jeff. And so, yeah, that was the beginning of the crank thing. That's crazy. So yeah, meeting meeting people, you know. Again, it was like, you know, meeting these really cool guys from great bands. And Eric Moline got us, you know, got us signed to Crank. So, yeah. And uh, and we we were the first one. And I think we we met Boys Life and told Jeff, like, there's this great band you've got to sign. We became his kind of, he, he basically told us, so you're an, a, you're, you're my A&R guys. So if you see bands out there, just send them my way. So we got, we got boys life signed onto there. And, uh, and later on vehicle birth. I don't know if you've ever heard. Yeah, of totally. Um, yeah. We, you know, so we were like A&R guys as well as uh crank you know, roster, you know, first people on the roster. Jeff knew he was like, these guys are connected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go find me some music, you know. But that was so. The yeah. first release was that seven inch, and then the second release was the split with Boys Life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, which is a weird one because he wanted to use "Why Are You So Mean to Me," and we were, we were kind of bummed about that. You know, the first thing was the same deal. That was stuff we'd recorded years ago. You know, uh, to us it was lifetimes ago. You know, but he. He liked that stuff, and he really liked that. Why are you so mean to me? Song. We're like, okay, all right. You know, Boys Life's gonna have this, you know, gnarly shit on side, on this other side, and we're gonna have our Nirvana pop tune. Okay, all right. We were already doing, you know, new stuff, and we had Brooks in the band, but yeah, but uh, still a, a good single, you know. Mm -hmm. And what? Good. Take us back to that time, like. Being on, like, you, I mean, you're fucking kids, and then it's their first release on this guy's new label. Um, I mean, slow is probably a word, just because of, you know, the, you know, waiting for reviews or, like, shows, or did yeah, it you feel... Had no you had no idea. Yeah, we just went, yeah, we just went about our business. You know, he put out that single, and we didn't know if it was selling to people. You know, we got some... We had no idea. Um and we, and again, by that time, like the, when, when he, you know, it was maybe time, time's real fuzzy to me, but it was maybe six, eight months before we met Brooks in Lawrence and he joined up that, 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 that record came out, I'm guessing that Harbor, you know, the first one. And so, but we were playing our, you know, we, as a trio, we were already playing different music than the stuff that was on that single. And then Brooks joined and when Brooks, had, you know, Brooks had been playing us, so we were playing all, you know, probably the stuff kind of EP kind of stuff. And that Why Are You So Mean To Me single came out. Um, 
and we were just cooking up new material with Brooks. You know, that was what we were concentrating on. Jeff had so many industry connections that he immediately got us, you know, you know, we were going to record in Chicago. Oh, no, I'm sorry. They, Bob Weston was coming to record us. That's crazy. And we were getting ready to go to Austin to play this big showcase at South by Southwest opening up for uh, President of the United States of America um, was on the bill. And like, uh, what's his name? The Built to Spill guys first band tree people was was on this bill and there were like a thousand people we'd never played we had hardly been on tour and since jeff was getting our this demo he kept sending out this wire use and mean to be demo to all these labels and so we had all these label people we had hardly even played and we had people from electra and maverick and all these different labels coming out to see our shows and wanting to sign us based on this demo and we didn't even play that shit anymore, you know? Wow. It was weird. It was confusing and everything was moving really fast, you know? Yeah. That you're right. That does sound fast. If you're like, we've already moved on yet there, he's pushing this song that you guys, you know, essentially have, you know, wrote a, like super long time ago. Wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So we, so, and it was confusing for the label people who were coming to see us cause they had, they thought they were coming to see, Three, you know, the, why are you so mean to me? Which is just like a very college pop rock. It's a good tune, but it's just we were by that time we were doing, you know, uh, applaud water and stuff off the EP, and they went, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> what are we seeing here? What? What is this? Thing? It was very confusing. And then Brooks would 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 fuck with the, these people. Really, he was very cruel to them, and. You know, we would do stuff like the guy from Capitol showed up to a show and Brooks would be like, all right, tell this guy we're breaking up. He flew all the way out here. Let's tell him that this is our last show. And so we would do shit like that. You know? Wow. These people, <laughs> it was terrible, you know, but, but we took, we kind of took a perverse glee in, in messing with, you know, they'd send out all these pretty girls as you know, these A&R ladies and they would come to see us and they're like these super, you know, beautiful ladies that to try and lure us in, you know, and we'd let them buy us dinner and get us wasted and, and then tell them we were breaking up or something like that. <laughs> but so was this Jeff's way? I, I guess I, you may not know this and it's fine, but like is, was Jeff like, was this something to get like a major label to fund crank or have like a, a subsidiary? Yeah, I think that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to do what like Gerard Cosboy or whoever had done, and you know, you know, Matador gets—I can't remember if they got—is Atlantic or something like that. Or, you know, um, he wanted to be a subsidiary on a bigger label, and then I'm sure ultimately the idea was to sell it all out and just to give, get make a big payday. I'm sure. Um, yeah, it was a trip, you know, like we'd look in like, it was like Cashbox magazine or whatever, or one of those like trade magazines. And he had gotten, you know, it was like, it said, what's all the hubbub about vitreous humor. We, 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 you know, and we'd been a band for with Brooks at least for like a year, you wow. know, we were like, wait a second, why are we in these trade magazines? And we're going to the Warner brothers building this afternoon to have them treat us to lunch and show us their roster artist roster. And, and then, you know, they'd come and see us and we were, you know, this garagey, indie, gnarly kind of ratty band. They, and I was, yeah, it was very, it, yeah, it was a strange deal. <laughs> I love that. I love that they would just come out and, uh, you know, think that they were here getting one thing. And then you're right. You're telling them this and that, uh, that you're breaking up or they don't even sound like that anymore. Was Jeff saying anything like, Hey guys, can you play that song again for me? I keep giving it to people. And I, he never did try to exert any control in that way. Um, I don't remember him hardly ever. He didn't, I don't remember hardly ever seeing him. And he never said nothing. He would come to the recording session, you know, or whatever. I think he came down when Bob recorded us and he went with the regrets when we recorded and he was pretty cool about letting us do what we wanted. You know, like after Vitry's humor broke up and the regrets got back together, I, you know, we contacted him and said, Hey, we got, we've got a bunch of new stuff and we got a new band. Do you want it? And he was just, yeah, send me a tape, you know, but he, 
he would let us kind of do whatever we wanted, which is cool. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I think too, another thing to mention outside of, you know, the, the split with boys life and those first few, you know, releases on that label. Another big release was the don't forget to breathe comp. Yeah. And yeah, you know, that, that was like, you know, the comp that opened up the door for so many different people. Was it? Yeah. You know, by that time I, I, it's weird. I, I felt like maybe that was when, did that come out in 97? I think so. And you guys were done by yeah. then. Well, yeah, the regrets had, had even maybe. Was that weird to be on that and be done? Yeah. And he, he even put, he put out another comp even after that. It had a, like an earlier tune of ours even. He was like scraping the barrel. <laughs> um, I think he put Stay Tuned for the Holidays on some comp that came out after that even. Um, but yeah, it was, it was straight. I think he was just, you know, we had little scraps left over, and that's what posthumous was. Was um, we just had it? Was the regrets were still a band, and he was like, and I think I just said, "Hey, we, Victory Humor has all this stuff. Why don't we put out a? I don't even, you know, honestly, I don't remember how that happened, but I think I must have suggested it, and he just said, "Yeah." let's do this. And those were just demos and stuff, you know, those were demos and live recordings. I mean, half of it, my vocals are so quiet. You can't, it's cause they were just demos, you know, they weren't. <laughs> and I think a lot of people think that that's like an actual Vitri's humor album. And it's just a odds and ends and scraps. I think that might be the first thing. Cause I probably, I missed the, these seven, you know, the seven inches and the split. I, I was, uh-huh. I wasn't paying attention then. But I think I must have heard that the demos first, then the comp, then I heard the first record. The EP? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird way to hear it. (laughs) And I can't ever tell. To me, me, that stuff on Posthumous sounds way different than the EP stuff. But I don't know. I can't. You know, that's just because I'm so close to it. We're close to it, yeah. So yeah, so it's a confused, it's a, conf- you know, for a band that only existed for like, it really was with, I mean, the Brooks era band. I mean, we started in 89, Brooks joined in 94, and we were done by the end of 96. You know, so Brooks is in the band for just like two years and a few months or something like that. We've been a band for years before that as kids, but we've, we, a lot of stuff happened and it's very, but it's, it's all very confused. <laughs> like if somebody wants to go back, they're like, what? Um, or how did this end up working or what was, that's nuts that those labels and like playing the, I mean, the, literally the cliche South by Southwest pro, you know, showcase. Totally. We didn't really understand what was going on. We just thought, well, shit. I th- for me, I think I just took it for granted. Like, well, you know, we're we're awesome. So, you know, we're just uh, this is just where we're supposed to be at. You know, we're up here with this band. Everybody's like, oh, this band's gonna get signed. You know, I mean, everybody, all these bands are getting signed at that time, and uh, it just felt like normal. You know, just like, oh yeah, there's this lady from Maverick wants to have lunch with us at the, you know, at the Radisson before the show, and um, we just like, took it took it in stride because we we're like, yeah, you know. We're awesome. So all these people are signs that, you know, and uh, not realizing that that was it, you know, that'll never happen again. That was just this moment. And, you know, every, every major label was like sending armies of A&R people out to any band that remotely had, you know, any kind of promise. And, and then you read the Steve Albini article about don't, you know, here's what happens to your friend's band when they sign to a major label. And that's what scared us away. Really? Like, oh, oh yeah. We were reading, you know, he, he wrote a famous article um, in Maximum Rock and Roll, maybe, or, or one of those, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like, he was describing what the major labels will do to you. They'll chew your band up and spit it out. You know, you'll go in and um, you don't get to record what you want. Um, they're going to tell you what you're going to record. You're paying for the studio time. If you don't sell enough immediately within the first year and don't pay back what they've spent on you, they're just going to kick you out. You kick you off the label, and you know, we're, you know, we're like, ah, that's how it's played. Well, fuck that. We're gonna, you know, the plan was to keep touring and build up our cred, and you know, maybe we'll get signed to Touch and Go or something cool like that. You know? Right. Uh, and then once we have enough 
to go on, then we'll maybe sign to a major label. But, you know, we weren't going to just sign on the dotted line. Right no, away. I love that you were fucking with them. I love that you guys, that was the conversation in the van. Totally. Totally. <laughs> and what would Steve Albini think if we did sign? You know, we were very conscious of like, you know, our heroes would spit on us if we did that. We can't do that. Well, right. Well, I think that's an interesting thing that gets brought up during the Jawbreaker documentary and also of just like being chastised, you know, for doing a major label and being, you know, doing that when a f- just a few years later, no one gave a flying fuck. <laughs> right. Yeah, but your cred, um, yeah, you could lose your cred. Yeah. Uh, and that back then, that was like, that was, that was not cool. Um, and then Jawbox made, you know, freaking killer records on, uh, you know, on their major, I can't remember who they signed with, but they made amazing records. Um, and that's just how I went after that, you know? Um, yeah. So, I mean, we were, we weren't major label ready anyways, you know, like I think that mute America seven inch that we did, we started, we were starting to be able to become that band, but we had just, you know, we were just starting, you know, so we never quite, um, I thought the stuff that I thought that song on the don't don't forget to breathe and then that those two the songs on the mute America seven inch were like the most accomplished you know like real like okay these guys could and I think that's the idea is you know they Jeff wanted us to put out a single with them to show people like okay these guys can record like a a real sounding kind of record for cheap. And we did. We went in there and knocked out three tunes, and they're killer. Those are my favorite tunes. The Whisper Twins is one of my top songs. Yeah, I love that one. It's 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 got the spook. Yeah. Yeah. And that was for Mute. Yes. Yeah, Mute. Um, I don't know how how long or, or when they did it, but you know that was like English. Like they put out like Depeche Mode. Totally it was like. Uh, um, and they decided to open an American, you know, they, that was the American, I don't know how long before that they had started putting out records in America, but, uh, and I didn't know that at the time, you know, I was like, who's mute? I don't know. I have no idea. And they're like, what? These guys are big, big time, you know? And, uh, so we took it seriously and, and we recorded with, uh, this guy, Dave Trumpio, who's recorded shit tons of stuff. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Um, he was a he was an interesting guy, and he was a great. You know, he he knew how to make us sound good, and yeah, I like those I like those tunes a lot. I mean, it seems like you were on a roller coaster based on these stories, like getting d- wined and dined and playing all these yeah. shows, and it just it probably it felt, um, you know, did it just seem like okay, this is this isn't working, or we need to we need to do something else. It, you know what? I still to this day, you know, we, Brad Allen and I always talk about it. It's like, what happened? Um, you don't even remember? I, not really. You know, like we, we went on a tour, we went on a tour with uh, Archers of Loaf and, you know, Jeff set up, set that up too. You know, and we were like, again, it was like this band, they were like, to us, they were huge. They were like a big deal. And again, you know, first night of this tour, we play to 700, 800 people in Chapel Hill and sell tons of records. And we're just like, we took it for, again, took it for granted. I think we took, I did, you know, just like, this is just the way it goes. And, uh, and we came back from that tour and it's hard to explain. I, 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 I don't know what it was. I wanted to break out and do something different, I think. I, I've, I felt like, you know, we had kind of cornered ourselves into a sound and I didn't, I don't know. I don't really remember quite what my thinking process was, but I stopped showing up. I missed a couple of gigs. Really? Like I didn't, I did. I canceled a couple of gigs in, in town when we moved back home and I didn't show up to practices or something like that. And the guys were pissed at me and Dan, the drummer called and said, you know what? I'm done. Wow. And I was like, I was like, yeah, that's all right. Cause I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I don't know. It's weird. It was a weird thing. Interesting. And, was it, was yeah. it at all like having, you know, 
we haven't mentioned the word yet, but I mean, was it all anything to do with the emo label? Because Crank didn't have that. Partly. Really? Partly for me it was. I, 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 the music had started to like, I wanted to do something I think that was a little um, less palatable. <laughs> I wanted to like do something that was a little, like I felt like there was no humor in it, ironically. And like, I thought that we had become something that, again, that, that scene had changed us in a way. And I like, and you know, it, we became a different band and it maybe became something I wasn't quite, I, I, I didn't feel comfortable with. Like we didn't come out of hardcore and all this stuff. And I was like, I don't think this is really me. And what is really me? And I'd like to find out. And I think that was kind of it. I just wanted to like, I'd started listening to different stuff. I was, I was digging into like seventies, like, you know, proto punk stuff like Perubu and talking heads. And I was off on a different trip and I don't know why, but I thought Vidri Seymour couldn't contain this new, you know, I had to go off and do something different. And so, yeah, it's, I, it's hard. I honestly don't remember exactly. It's a weird time. Um, but then within a year, we were playing again. Brad, Dan, and I were playing, and, and I had a bunch of songs, and it was the regrets. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I was just, I had I had different ideas that I wanted to try out. But, and I thought, it doesn't matter what I do, the major labels will come calling anyway. <laughs> you know, I was like, the next thing I do will be just as successful, and everybody will want to hear it. So I'll just do something different, not thinking that, the regrets was like too much for people. You know, it was like too, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't hit the buttons, you know? Um, it was too much. I have the tools is pretty good. <laughs> well, it was, it was, you know, it was a different proposition. It was yeah. like, and it was meant to be, it was meant to be kind of to see how far I could push it and, and, and not, and it was, I wanted to be funny and I wanted to be ridiculous and, and uh, so, yeah, off on some other weird trip. What's really funny is like <laughs> you, you keep saying that I don't really know. Like, no, you're saying it like the it's funny that a, you know, a quote, you know, band from Crank that, you know, influenced a bunch of bands after them and, and gets mentioned year, year in and year out. Uh, even that label or that feeling they wanted to try something else or, or, or go away from it and. Um, I don't know what that says about the word or the, the, the feeling, but it's, uh, visceral, you know, of just having this, uh, thing, take this music kind of take its course and the reaction to it. And I think you were right to be like, I want to do something else. Like I've been doing this since 89 and (laughs) I've got this, I got this other stuff that look, if everyone wants to do it and copy it, like go crazy. But I got this other stuff. I, I need to get out. Yeah. You know, it's that Groucho Marx thing too, of like any club that would have me as a member, you know, like, I don't want to be in the club. Basically. I think I kind of had that kind of feeling like, Oh, everybody else wants to do this now. I'm going to do something else. I would do, you know, I, I did that, you know, I changed schools when I was a kid because I wanted to get away from my friends that I knew for all these years. You know, I would do these do dramatic turns to like, well, if everybody else is doing it then fuck that, I'm leaving, you know? So I, it, there was something in there too. Um, and maybe I knew that Brad and Dan and I would play together again. And, you know, it's like, ah, we'll get back together and we'll reform. We'll do something different and be great, you know. But uh, I just, yeah, it was time to time to break it up and take some risks and start over, you know. Um, I wish we would have stuck with it a little longer because I would have liked to have heard another, you know, like a full length from Vitri Seymour, that, that band, you know, that four piece would have been nice to hear, but didn't happen, you know. But also, I think yeah. I loved your 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 optimism. Like this is gonna happen again. Look, guys, Maverick's gonna call again. We're fine. <laughs> optimism <laughs> is one word for it. It's like <laughs> arrogant, uh, you know. Uh, you know, you're young and you're like, shit, I'm the greatest. Um, <laughs> I got someone from so Scotty fun. Brothers calling me. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, when are they gonna start calling? This should be any day now. They'll be wondering what I'm writing. And it did not happen. <laughs> 
Um, and then after after the after the regrets, um, you were doing solo stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. After the regrets, um, I think shortly after that, it was maybe a, you know I started writing my own stuff and and I just kind of retreated into um, doing stuff at home and recording on tape recorders and stuff. And then I started a thing with some friends called God damn it. And the Holy shits, uh, which, <laughs> which is, uh, we all have to send you some of that. It was even weirder. Um, like got into more experimental kind of noise and like improv kind of stuff. And then it veered off into like folk country. You know, it's, I was just trying, I was just hungry to do anything. Whatever fascination I had, I would just run for it. And then, then I did Danny pound band, um, which was like more of a straight up, you know, Dylan esque kind of rock band, Americana kind of thing. Um, I put out one record with a a label that this guy started a label here. And then, and then did a, and then after that, it was just me putting out my own stuff on Bandcamp or whatever, you know, because I couldn't find anybody to put out my weird records. <laughs> <laughs> and what were you doing, you know, uh, in in this time as well, other than music stuff? Was it was there was there a career that you were working on? Was that were there other stuff that you? Were d- I just worked at a grocery store my whole life, basically. Um, after it was about, two, I moved to New York briefly. I was going to go, there was a label up there called Arena Rock. Oh, wait a minute. You were going to work at Arena Rock? Well, no, they were going to, they were going to maybe put out a record for me. No shit. And I was wanting to get out of Kansas. I was living in Topeka after the burn, the burnout of like, like, uh, the regrets had broken up and da da da, all this stuff. And a couple of years later then, but anyways, but, uh, it's confused in my mind, but. I was living at home with my parents and I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. And this guy from arena rock got in touch with the, my friend who was our lawyer back in the day. He was like, Hey, this this label arena rock likes your demo. You should, you know, talk with these guys. They're cool. And I was like, you know what? It just so happens. I'm thinking of moving up to New York anyway. So I went up to New York and freaked them out. I think, I think they thought, I don't know. It's a, <laughs> I just moved up there and I didn't have a job and I was like, just kind of lounging around and I stayed with the guy and he was like, you gotta go. And, um, and I left and that was it. I never contacted them or we didn't end up doing anything. Obviously. What year uh, was that? That would have been like 2000, 99, 2000. Oh man. 2000. Nice. I was just there. I just it moved was, there. Okay. <laughs> it was funny. I moved, I went up there and met one of the guys, this guy from Arena Rock, his name, I won't be able to remember, but he was like, we're going to lunch. Um, with my friend, my friend, Matthew's going to meet us for lunch. And I'm like, cool. So we go to this restaurant in Manhattan and this guy, Matthew shows up. He's like, this is Matthew. Matthew, this is Danny Pound. And the, this guy goes, Danny Pound? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, why are you so mean to me, Danny Pound? Vitri humor. And I was like, yeah. He's like, I'm Matthew Cause from, uh, what's the band? Uh, oh, Jesus oh, we just, yeah, we're both idiots. I'll, I'll do it right now. We're uh, uh, not, not a surf. surf. Yeah. <laughs> so this guy, they forced not a surf to record our tune. This guy from Electra had like bought the song from us. He's like, and he made not a surf record it. So he was, this guy knew me. Because he was <laughs> forced. Yeah. Yeah. Not a surf. Well, they were on Electra at the time. And so the label was like, here's your tune. We've got this tune. You're recording this. This is going to be your big single. Wow. And it didn't. And they ended up somehow they weaseled out of it. I remember getting like copies, advanced copies of like, not a surf, new tune. Why are you so mean to me? And they must have, I don't know what happened, but they somehow convinced the label that they could be like, we want to put our own shit out. We don't want to do this tune, but they recorded it. It's out there on the, on the webs. Wow. But yeah, trip to just meet this guy. <laughs> it's like, and I wait a minute, Danny Pound from Why You So Mean to Me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And maybe the arena rock guy knew, and maybe that's why he set it up. Now that I think about it, but I mean, who knows? He never, he never said anything. Was, was it like, Greg? Shit, what are the odds? Greg Clover or Dan Ralph? Um, uh, 
Greg or, was the main guy, right? Or Glover. Greg Glover or Dan Ralph? That's the thing I found yeah, on Yeah, Greg the Glover. Yeah. 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 And he, you know, yeah. So they, I think they thought that I was a flake or something, which I, I was a flake at that, <laughs> at that time in my life. I was pretty, pretty flaky. They're like, uh, where, aren't you getting a job? And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to play on the street corner and like, <laughs> can't you guys just give me some money? You know, like, um, I didn't say that, but you know, I think that's what they thought I was doing. So I was going to, like, nah, I'm just trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life, you know. Um, and New York was too big of a city for me anyways. I couldn't, I couldn't hack it. We might have walked by each other. We might have. I was, I was in, I was at TVT Records, which was, uh, we were in the Bowery, like 4th and Lafayette. And I'm sure we weren't far away from the East Village. That was still where people hung sure. versus uh, Brooklyn yet. No one was, no one's yeah. going to Brooklyn um, at that moment. Um, I mean, they were, but it wasn't like the thing yet. Uh, so I had, maybe I had several friends who were living in Brooklyn at that time from Kansas. And we even called it like little Lawrence or something. Cause we had, I, I would run into like John Anderson from boys life was up there at the time. I think, um, it was funny. Yeah. But we would, I was mostly, well, now I was in Brooklyn and Manhattan both and Queens too. I was like staying with a friend in Queens and he would kick me out. Like, yeah, go, uh, <laughs> sleeping in the same fold-out bed with my buddy Dan, and he's like, get out of here, you freak. Um, and, and about, you know, it was like maybe four weeks in, I developed, like, I started getting this, like, thing on my neck, and I thought I had a tumor. I was so stressed out, you know. Dude, New York, like, New, York just, New York just kicked your ass. <laughs> it destroyed me and spit me out, just like they talk about it. it I'm just not cut out for speed. <laughs> Dude, like, that's what it does. It just... It's so fast. Yeah, it's just like... Yeah, it's... Uh, um, I have love-hate relationship with it, and I, I've been sure. here way too many years, um, and I'm from a really, really, really small town that I just found out tonight got their first stoplight. A friend of mine from home called oh. me and told me. He's like, by the way, <laughs> they just put a, a stoplight stop in. <laughs> Holy shit, where are you from? I'm from Jericho, Vermont, which is like outside of Burlington. Wow. And cool. so... I, I've been to Vermont, but I can't remember where we were, but it's beautiful. Yeah, it was... Uh, I thought the whole... I thought everywhere um, didn't have billboards. I thought everywhere... Uh, uh, like recycled. Like I had such a warped, like I didn't know what a chain restaurant right. was until I went to college. Like I had no idea that people went to chain restaurants. Like I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> you wow, mean you don't get it? You, you don't go to yeah. your, your friend's restaurant? <laughs> no, buddy. Hey, the one restaurant that's there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, and yeah, I'm a Kansas boy, you know? Yeah. It's slow here and, and you don't, I remember standing somewhere in Manhattan. I could never figure out where the hell I was either. I don't have an internal compass and I, I could never figure out how to get from one place to the other. So I'd, I'd get lost and spend the entire day, like asking people, how do I get to fucking, you know, wherever? And they'd be like, you go down here. You take and I'd be like, what the fuck did they just say? But I was, <laughs> I remember standing outside some place and I'm in Manhattan, crazy shit going, people walking everywhere. And I was smoking a cigarette and a cop came up. He's like, why are you standing right here smoking that fucking cigarette? Get the fuck out of the way. You know, like, and I was like, seriously? He's like, yeah, you pe can't you see people are trying to walk over here and you're like right in the fucking way. And I was like, I cannot believe what you're telling me right now. And he's like, don't give me any shit. You know, like, okay. Fuck, I flicked my cigarette and went back inside and stood there. I can't remember what, it's a record store somewhere. And it like, Fuck, you know, I can't even stand around and smoke a cigarette in this place. Jesus Christ. Well, I can see that. Time. I can see that all happening from across the street. Jesus. Yeah, not cut out for it. But no. Love visiting, but was definitely not cut out to live there. Right. <laughs> but no, I, 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 I have that feeling sometimes when I come back. And I've, I, I haven't got up to speed yet. I haven't gotten up to like, sure. you know, uh, putting cocaine in your veins all the time to be able to stay yeah. up. Like I, I don't, I, I don't do drugs, but like, that's the feeling like right. you, you, it takes you a minute to like warm up. 
adrenaline. Yeah, you get off the. I remember I went to see my my sister lives in Rhode Island, so I came up there a couple of years ago, and I hadn't been to New York since 2000. And my buddy lives in Brooklyn, um, Hyde Park area, and but I took a bus from from Rhode Island to New York, and I got off the bus and it was well, we just coming into this town, into the city was like, oh. <laughs> I forgot about this place. Holy shit. And then having to get off the bus and be like, what the fuck? Where am I going? Oh, okay, I'm crossing the street here. Oh, this motherfucker's gonna run into me. You know, it was it was a trip. It was a trip. And I did get lost. Of course. And I needed like excuse me, can you help me to like uh oh where are you from? That I love helping cool. people. I actually I I'll i I'll seek it out some days on like a Saturday. I'll see like a group yeah. and I'm like, they don't know where the hell they're going. Let me, let me, yeah. let me tell them the, let me make sure they don't go to Bubba Gum Shrimp. Let me make sure they go somewhere <laughs> cool. <laughs> New Yorkers are always very friendly and helpful. I always, I love that. Like to a, to a point, you know, but if you're a dumbass, it was like, get the fuck out of here. But yeah, you just, let me help you. Yeah. I'll tell you where to go. You know, go down always the street, there. hang a left, then a right, then a left. Like, are you still asking me questions? Cause I got to go over here now. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was like, wait a second, let me write this down, um, shit. <laughs> Before you had a phone that you could just enter it in and like it would go, turn left. Off. Right. Yeah, yeah like oh, the man. GPS. Oh, man. Are you getting stressed out now? Are you feeling it? Do you feel the... I'm feeling it right now. It's <laughs> pumping through my veins, man. We got to chill. We got to chill. <laughs> well, I think what's what I loved... Um, and, you know, partly part of this conversation kind of starting is you were putting up some of these recordings on Bandcamp and, you know, did you have these sitting here for a while? Did you, is it easier now to look back? Is it, is, or what, what was the decision to start putting a lot of this stuff up? Cause you did stuff in the summer too, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, let's see. I, we've been talking about the EP for a long time, Brad and, and I specifically and trying to get in touch with Jeff for like 10 years. And because we were both like, just like, God damn, I'd love to just get that thing remastered and do a small press, you know, like put, put a live show on the other side and the EP on one side, do a little bit of vinyl and just see that thing live again. Cause it just has, every time I listen to it, I, I still connect with it and it still has freshness to it, you know? And um, I've been trying to collect all my stuff. All of my recordings are kind of in the hands of other people. And it's this weird thing. Um, like my solo recordings, I'm, I've been having a hard time getting from an old friend that I recorded all this shit with. And I just want to have it all. It's like, I don't, it's not that I, it's not that I, I'm not fixated on it and like dying to like make money off it or nothing. I just want to have it on a, fucking Bandcamp page for people to go and listen to because I feel like there's a story like it all there's a continuity that goes from like the stuff I recorded when I was 12 through to now and I just want it all in this place where if people want to go and bop around and hear my weird esoteric like 12 string improv that I recorded on an iPhone and then see if that sounds like vitreous humor too you know which to me it does. You know, it's like it's all the same thing. It's all got a, a feeling to it. And so I wanted. Uh, there's another kid that lives down here who's like, I want to be your archivist, and he has every crank recording ever, and he has live. He recorded us live, you know, at the Bottleneck, the Danny Pound Band. He recorded us when we were opening up for Will Oldham. He's like, I've got that show. I can pass you this show. And I was like, shit, pass it all to me. You know, like I want it. I want it all. Uh, so I've just been getting all this stuff passed to me. And I've got, I found the, you know, a show we played when we were in high school in Topeka. This guy sent me it's crazy shit. So I'm like, how do you even have that? Um, I want it. <laughs> you know, I want to hear it. I want to hear my past. I want to hear what it sounded like. And so it's just all coming out of that. And and wanting to have it all in just a central location where if people want to go listen, they can, if they want to drop a few bucks and donate and, or, you know, or if somebody hears it and is like, Hey, I will, I run a little label. I want to do some vinyl for you guys. Let's do it. Um, so it's just kind of come out of that. And, uh, you know, 
How does it feel? Been recent. It feels good. I I love it. You know, I'm, it's like it's my that music is it's really really precious to me. All the stuff I've ever done. Um, and it and again, it's like it's hard to explain. You know how precious it is to me. It's it's um, but it's not precious like Gollum and my ring precious like in a sick way. It's just beautiful. I I like thinking back on my life story and the people I met. And the friends I made, and I've known Brad Allen since I was five years old, and we ended up playing in this band and leaving Topeka and going to New York and Boston and Vermont and Florida and all these places that we who did we would never have probably even I would never have left Topeka probably if I hadn't have been in this band, you know. And so I saw parts of the world of the United States that I never thought I'd see. I met all these people. And it's a beautiful thing, you know, and it's just nice, you know, and I'd like to share it with people. I'd like people to hear it. Um, and that's really all there is to it. You know, it's just a, um, everybody's life has some interesting story to tell, you know, mine's no more special. It, it's just, I think people would find it interesting. Um, so yeah, just trying to archive it all so people could go and bop around and listen. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think the, the the live stuff that you found, like you said, the there's a fireside bowl yeah. stuff, like that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah, that that one I'd had on cassette, and I found the cassette and was like, holy shit, it still plays. And uh, my friend, yeah, like I was I don't know how to do any of the on computer. I'm a luddite virtually, so I was like, can you make this go on the digital? <laughs> <laughs> can you? It won't go in the computer. This cassette doesn't fit in my laptop. And he's like, I can help you with that. You know, I can do it, man. And it's great. It's great to be able to hear that. That show was, God, that was, that Fireside show was Promise Ring. And who else was on that? Oh, Compound Red. Wow. If you ever heard. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, we they were buddies of ours. I love them. Um, but yeah, it's great to have some of that. I wish there was more, you know, I'd love to, to find more, but that may be it. You know, those are different times. You know, when I think of emo, the first thing that I remember, the first thing I ever heard that anyone described as emo, uh, Brooks, the, the bass player, Victory's humor was like, he said the word we were listening to, uh, rights of spring. And he's like, it's so emo. And I was like, it's so what? He's like, it's emo. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? He's like, emotional. You know, he explained it to me that there's this music. And I was like, oh, I can get down with fucking Rites of Spring any day. Like that. And so that was my first. I When I thought of emo, I was like, oh, it's like that. Because that's my shit, you know, like Fugazi or whatever. I kind of thought Fugazi was emo or, you know, it's like, um, which is an entire, you know, what is it? You know, is it like, um, is it dashboard confessional? Cause if that's it, I'm not sure that that's my kind of thing, but I can, it's okay. You know, I can get down with it, but you know, I never thought of us as emo and I never hated it. I remember we were on the, on the regrets tour. I, we, we were calling it the tickle me emo tour and we were kind of making fun. And we were at this, like we played with the get up kids and a bunch of bands at this, like, vfw hall or something and i said i was jokingly like making fun i was like welcome to the tickle me emo tour and it was all these kids with backpacks and you know like and they looked at me like fuck you buddy you know and i and i realized like okay don't bite the hand that feeds you you know like i'm not let's not and dan me dan and brad were both like dude you know i'm like i'm just having fun you know like um i don't got no problem with emo in fact i like a lot of that music um it's, you know, it's, there's some stuff today that, that kids would call emo that I'm like, well, that's not, you know, uh, there's like, some, yeah, stuff in there. That's like, well, I, I definitely cannot abide by that. It doesn't even make any sense to me, but, um, you know, get up kids and all that stuff. That's great shit. You know, it's like, I think the mutation that it became is the, where people start to get off board. You know, it's like, nah, 
signing off, you know. The reason I started the website, I think I told you this over, you know, Facebook Messenger and stuff, like the reason I started this was because no one was mentioning those bands and it was almost like it was gone. Like the internet didn't have information about Sunny Day Real Estate. Sure. Like it just didn't exist. Or Mineral or these bands. It's like, why aren't they in there? Um, Those guys were huge. Or Braid or, you know, we were... We were playing with all these bands that were, and you know, again, it's, again, it's such a commodity. And when you hear the music today, the thing about that I miss about, you know, there was, um, there was a kind of a gnarliness to music back then. You didn't have, um, tuning, you know, people didn't tune their voices and like, there wasn't a sheen over everything that there is now. So even the hardest music, the metal, some of the metal stuff that I hear is like got this sheen to it and it's all tuned in this weird way. And these were actual people playing actual instruments. And sometimes they were a little out of tune and it's a little gnarly and it's real and it's four people like knocking it out. And that, that was a thing to see when people were really good at it. And I don't think people can do that anymore. I don't think bands can cook like that. I mean, there were smoking bands back then and it's not, you know, it's like people are, they've got their earpieces in their ear and they're tuning their, it's just weird, you know, like it doesn't have blood in it, you know. When you get together with people in a room like that and there's actual like, I mean, there is a physical reality to Adam exchange the electrical things that happen and the energetic things that are being exchanged. That is a real thing. And to experience that in a like room with a bunch of people and a band is a, is a, it's a real experience. You know, you did the hairs on your neck stand up and you're, it's a, uh, it's tingly and it's like, it's, and that's emotional, you know? So it's like, that's why that music connected for kids is because that's that time when you're, man, you're feeling it. (laughs) Everything is so heavy and so serious and so fucking, and you know what? It's still kind of like that for me sometimes, even as a 46 year old man, I, you know, I would never, you know, emotions are, are um, reality. I mean, that's, that's makes us who we are. Um, That's still, I still want to have those kind of emotions. I mean, you don't want to, you know, get carried away with that stuff. I I practice meditation so that I don't get lost in it, but I still want to feel that stuff. I want to have those moments. It's a beautiful thing. Because it doesn't feel, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't feel unnerving or it doesn't feel abrasive. It, it feels, um, it feels okay. It feels good. Yeah. It's an opening, you know, it's a opening to emotion. Um, rather than you know shutting down which is which is easy to do these days to want to shut down people are so anxious and you can hide in so many different ways and this is more about that music was more about you know bearing your letting yourself opening up your rib cage and letting people like stick their hands in there and <laughs> it's like it gets me you know, let it get messy i want to feel it all and it was a you know that's why it was such a big deal to kids and it's you those basement shows were like you know those are some and there was there was this electricity in the air you know i can remember many of those times just like pretty neat yeah i think that's what the that's what i'm the 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 specialness of it or when i meet someone you know like a james minor who you know was in compound red does yeah. all the yeah he does all the booking for south by and so i remember like you know, connecting with him and just being like, dude, compound red, like shit, you know, <laughs> I was like, guys are the best, you know? And I was like, I love that stuff. And he kind of, you know, brushes it off or whatever, but I, uh, we're good. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Like, yeah, we're it, good. It's all right. If you're not into it, cause, cause I am. Yeah. We, those guys were great. We had so much fun on that. He booked a tour. I think we kind of booked them together for the regrets and, um, that band was great. We had so many good times. Andy Rees and all those, those dudes were awesome. And I still am in touch with those guys. Not James so much. Uh, he's probably too busy. Sounds like he's got a lot on his plate, but I'm in touch with all those people. Those people are all still 
they're friends to me. They always will be. And I, I you know, I love, you know, Danny, that you kind of like, it's got this the discussion of just, you know, feeling it like a little bit of just like these moments and your friends, they're still your friends and you've been doing this music. And, and now I think you're, you're, you're opening up your chest by having that band camp and having all that stuff there for people to go in and, and explore. And, um, I think, I think, it, I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, I hope, I hope so. Yeah. I'd, I'd love for people to, to dig in there. I, yeah. And there, it's a different, it's a different thing, you know, but it's like, um, it's in your room. It's you and you and your speakers, you know, or your headphones. It's a little bit more, it's just you and you, but that's a good thing too. I spent a lot of time doing that as well. So, um, I think that's just as valuable. It's just a different, it's a different, more intimate, you know, thing, just you, uh, but it can be just as affecting, you know? Yeah. But I think it's great that you've, taken this time and, you know, realized, cause a lot of people don't, a lot of people aren't, you know, wanting to do this. Um, a lot of people that I speak sure. to just, they're not interested. Maybe it's too painful to think about the past or, um, there's probably a lot of reasons, but, um, I've spent a lot of time. I, you know, I, I went through some hard times and I, over the past few years of, you know, I kind of cleaned my act up and, looking at things that, you know, you need to look at the good things and the bad things and everything. I was just like going rifling through my past and, and I didn't want to think about it for years. I was kind of in that camp from, you know, I would say about 2002 or three until maybe four or five years ago, I was kind of, I poo pooed it and people would ask me about it and I'd say, yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm doing my thing now. I don't want to talk about it, but it's part of life. It's part of my life, and it was a huge part of my life. And it was, it was fun and exciting, and you know, I I had more fun than I can imagine. I I don't you know I was so lucky to be around that many cool people, and so yeah, there's it's 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 good to be in touch with it again. Washed Up Emo fans, thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening, and for this current episode you're about to hear. I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com